Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, it, it is no coincidence that I'm not one of those people who think there's no such thing as coincidences. But the in this incredibly early part of 2020, I'm going to suggest that maybe the most undercovered story of the year came out this week, this past week, when a website obtained and published emails between uh, personnel at the Office of Management and Budget, which is in the White House, and officials at the Pentagon. These emails had been already published as a result of a Freedom of Information Act request, except that the original publication was riddled with redactions by the Justice Department, the so-called Justice Department. And this website had obtained and now published unredacted versions, which revealed that the redactions were all about people saying things like, the president ordered the withholding of military aid to Ukraine for no reason that anybody could explain. That story broke, well, it, it kind of tumbled out, Got started getting some coverage on Wednesday, and then Thursday happened, and it's disappeared from public, I think from public memory by now. As I say, I, I, I don't think it's necessarily not a coincidence, you know. Anyway, this is Southern California, where is located a little city that once a year is the New Year's Day capital of the Western United States, and we pay tribute to it now on Hello, Welcome to the Show. Pasadena, city of the rose, throws its spell on me. In Pasadena, restaurants never close. What a way to be. There's peace and plenty implied in her name. There's love and hatred for every guy and every dame. The brass is cleaner. People wear nice clothes in Pasadena, L.A. Pasadena, 20 miles from sea. And every year, every year, a queen. Thank you. When Pasadena dresses up for me, well, 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 you know what I mean. Parades of roses, how soon we forget. And children's noses are pressed against the safety net. No grass is greener. 
of spades and holes in Pasadena. She's a my bambina in Pasadena, my, my. From Santa Monica, home of the homeless and just... Way the heck on the other side of Southern California. I'm Harry Shearer. Welcome you to this edition of the show. Happy 2020, everybody. Now, let's get back to uh, the real world. Namely, news of the godly. Can't get more real than that, can you? Yes, you can. But we won't right now. A a cardinal ousted from the Roman Catholic Church paid dozens of clerics, some of whom were involved in evaluating claims of his sexual misconduct. He paid them more than $600,000 over nearly two decades, according to the Washington Post. Theodore McCarrick, he was Archbishop of the Archdiocese of Washington from 2001 to 2006, sent money donated to the church by wealthy donors to more than 100 Catholic officials, including two popes. Not the movie, the popes. That's according to financial records obtained by the Post. More though, Among the more than 100 recipients, Pope John Paul II, he received $90,000, and Pope Benedict the uh, XVI, who received $291,000, according to the Post. Not the Pope, the Post. A spokesman for Cardinal Leonardo Sandri, he only got 6500 from McCarrick, told the Post the money, quote, never had any effect on the Cardinal's decision-making as an official of the Holy See, unquote. Maybe it was just, you know, the fact that it was chump change. Compared. Clerics who received checks characterized the money from McCarrick as Christmas gifts and said it was spent on charity or other services. McCarrick's attorney declined to comment on the latest report. But McCarrick, now 89 said last year in a statement he had absolutely no recollection of the abuse involving the teenager. Church officials say the Vatican's going to release an official report in 2020. The talk, the talk is clicking. Earlier this year, the Washington Post published a report that showed Bishop Michael Bransfield, the leader of the Catholic Church in West Virginia, gave about $350,000 to clergymen before he was ousted for sexual misconduct. Among the recipients of those cash gifts were young priests who had accused him of allegations of sexual misconduct, and at least a dozen cardinals. He took the money out of a personal account over a period of a decade. There's got to be some really happy donors out there. Richard J. Poster served time for possessing child pornography, violated his probation by having contact with children, admitted masturbating in the bushes near a church school, and in 2005 was put on a sex offender registry, yet... The former Catholic priest was only just last month added to a list of clergy members credibly accused of child sexual abuse after the Associated Press asked why he wasn't included. Despite the diocese's names of nearly the release of nearly 5,300 names, most in the last two years, critics say the lists of critically Credibly accused priests, I'll get it right, are far from complete. An AP analysis found more than 900 clergy members accused of child sexual abuse who were missing from lists released by the diocese and religious orders where they served. The AP reached that number by matching those public diocesan lists against a database of accused priests tracked by the group bishopaccountability.org. 
more than 100 of the former clergy members not listed by dioceses or religious orders had been charged with sexual crimes, including rape, solicitation, and receiving or viewing child pornography. The AP also found another nearly 400 priests and clergy members who were accused of abuse while serving in dioceses that have not released yet any names. Church officials say, absent an admission of guilt, they have to weigh releasing a name against harming the reputation of priests who may have been falsely accused. Some dioceses have excluded entire classes of clergy members from their lists. Priests in religious orders, deceased priests, not the priests ceased, who had only one allegation against them, priests ordained in foreign countries, and sometimes deacons or seminarians ousted before they were ordained. Poster was excluded because of a technicality. His name was not included when the Davenport, Iowa Diocese issued its first list of two dozen credibly accused priests more than a decade ago. The diocese said his crime of possessing more than 270 videos and images of child pornography on his work laptop was not originally a qualifying offense because there wasn't a direct victim. After he was released from prison, the diocese found Polkster a job as a maintenance man at its office, you know, where he had the work laptop, but he was fired less than a year later after admitting to masturbating in the bushes on the property which holds abuts, excuse me, a Catholic high school. He then went on to violate the terms of his probation, admitting he had contact with minors at a bookstore. Well, at least there's a bookstore and near an elementary school. Judge sent him back to jail. Church, uh, child pornography was added to the church's child abuse charter in 2011. Though the church said it would update its list of perpetrators as required under a court-approved bankruptcy plan, it never included poster, said a spokesman for the diocese. It was an oversight. A new federal lawsuit claims the Archdiocese of New Orleans and the Diocese of Lafayette covered up a decades-old confession of child sex abuse by the late Reverend Kenneth Morvant. He's accused of repeatedly abusing adolescent boys in the rectory of a church in St. Martinville. Church is called St. Martin. It's, it's, he's not in the fields, however. The abuse claims in the lawsuit filed this week are similar to those filed in a different suit last year in St. Martin Parish. The alleged victims in both crimes, or both suits, say Morvant, plied them with alcohol before abusing them, in some cases on a weekly basis over several years. The number of alleged victims in the claims against Morvant is between 11 and 16. A lawyer representing the federal plaintiffs declined comment. The uh, diocese said it would address the matter with full consideration of the facts and the duty to defend Father Morvant's reputation as there have been no previous allegations involving him. It did not identify him on its list of credibly accused abusers in April. But the new federal lawsuit claims church officials in Lafayette and New Orleans convened a secret church proceeding in late 1980 wherein he testified under oath about the details of his crimes. But the church officials did not notify law enforcement or the public. The federal plaintiffs said the abuse occurred at weekend sleepovers in the clergyman's residence. The St. Martin Parish plaintiffs say Morvant stalked his victims after choir practice and a confirmation ceremony. 
One of the plaintiffs recalled Morvant telling him that, quote, God put me here to serve the people. God put you here to serve me, unquote. Morvant died in 2003. He's buried at the church, which got a couple of the victim's advocates mad again. And Raleigh, North Carolina, a Catholic diocese in North Carolina, this week published a list of 14 clergy who it says have been credibly accused of child sexual abuse. There should be a, a, an acronym for that phrase by now. In the nearly 50 years since the diocese was established, the Diocese of Charlotte also listed six clergy members who served the area before the diocese was formed, way back in 1972, and 23 clergy members from the diocese who were accused of misconduct while working for the church in other places. To all who have been victimized by Catholic church, clergy, I apologize on behalf of the diocese and express to you personally my heartfelt sorrow for the physical, emotional, and spiritual pain you've suffered, said the archbishop. No, sorry, the bishop. Not arch yet. No active clergy in the diocese have a credible allegation of child abuse against them. News of the godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now news of the warm. More than half of Earth's rivers, you've heard of Earth, uh, freeze over every year. <laughs> These frozen rivers support important transportation networks for communities and industries located at high altitudes. Ice cover also regulates the amount of greenhouse gases released from rivers into the Earth's atmosphere. Now, a new study from researchers at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill found that annual river ice cover is going to decline by about six days for every one degree Celsius increase in global temperatures. Well, that's only four or five. This decline will have economic and environmental consequences. The study was published first to this New Year's Day in the journal Nature. It is the first study to look at the future of river ice on a global scale. The whole thing, ladies and gentlemen, get the handbasket. And now... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole III. Guess what they found at the Olympic Stadium? Well, these uh, actually one of the Olympic facilities in Tokyo to be used for the 2020 Olympic Games. Asbestos! Where'd that come from? The Tokyo Metropolitan Government says it will take urgent measures after asbestos was discovered in the structure of a swimming center to be used for water polo at the 2020 Olympics. The material, considered a health risk, according to Kyodo News Agency, was found in fire-resistant coating used at two locations on a pillar supporting the roof of the Tokyo International Swimming Center, which opened way back in 1993. They weren't using it, were they? The material was sprayed on a steel frame in an area usually inaccessible to the public. Well, that explains that. With the entire structure covered by a panel, so there was no possibility of it being touched, according to the Tokyo government. Guess they know about what can be touched. The Metropolitan Government has installed handrails for stairs and conducted other renovation work since uh, 
fall a year ago in preparation for the Games. The presence of asbestos was confirmed during an inspection in 2017 before the renovation work began. But the Metropolitan Government originally decided that no immediate measures were required based on the material's location and condition. Like, nobody would ever know. But the Tokyo government reviewed the assessment and has now decided to implement asbestos containment measures. One of the reasons may be because it plans to turn the swimming center into an ice skating rink following the Olympics. And I guess asbestos don't freeze. The Olympics, ladies and gentlemen, it is a movement. And we all need one. Every day. And now, following as night the day, the apologies of the week. We're so sorry. A British media pundit and former Arsenal soccer player has apologized for saying during a live radio show that a soccer player was having, quote, a holocaust of a game. On the talk sports show The Warm-Up, Perry Groves was discussing Sheffield United's win over Brighton the previous day. When talking about the goalkeeper's performance, he said the player had a holocaust of a game. Shortly after he made the comment, Groves apologized live on air, saying, I'd just like to sincerely apologize for my misuse of words earlier. I didn't mean to offend anybody. If I've offended anybody, I'm truly, genuinely sorry, and that is for my heart. Despite his apology, outraged listeners quickly took to Twitter. Where else? To call out Groves' disgusting use of words, describing the comparison as unbelievably offensive. A fast food restaurant in Texas is apologizing after an employee was asked to leave because she was wearing a hijab. Stephanie Coleman told CBS News that she felt disrespected when her manager and co-workers at the Chicken Express restaurant in Fort Worth asked her to take it off. You shouldn't have to retrain people to respect people's religion because that's something people should already have knowledge of, she said. She converted to Islam in August and was hired by Chicken Express in October. She said her, she told her co-workers she would start wearing a hijab soon, but when she came in on Monday of this week, she said she was not welcomed by her co-workers. Hey, congratulations on the thing. She said her manager told her she could only wear Chicken Express branded clothing. I got to get me some of that. She said she took off her jacket and purse, but a manager called her into his office and told her the hijab did not follow the company dress code. Your job is your job, the manager told her in the widely shared video. If she didn't take her off, the hijab, she would have to leave. Not the job, the hijab. But she said, I was saying what you're doing is wrong. You're sending me home and the reason is invalid. She uploaded the video to Twitter. In a statement, Rhett Warren, an attorney for the Chicken Express franchise owner, said they had apologized to Coleman and the manager's comments were due to a lack of training. He was using a strict interpretation of the company policy that does not allow derivations from the standard employee uniform. That's a quote. And he unfortunately did not take religious liberty into consideration. The spokesperson said Chicken Express will be offering more training and less chicken. No, sorry. And the manager has been reprimanded for the incident. Coleman was paid for the day. Your job or your hijab? Organizers for a team tennis championship in Australia have apologized to the visiting Moldovan team after inadvertently playing the Romanian national anthem to open the tournament. This is this year's 
Wrong national anthem apology, ladies and gentlemen. There's at least one every year. The blunder took place prior to the opening singles match in Sydney. Well, they couldn't see with the smoke of the ATP Cup between Moldova uh, and a player from Belgium. At the start of Moldova versus Belgium match, we mistakenly played the wrong national anthem for Moldova, said the ATP organizers. We're sincerely sorry and have apologized personally to Team Moldova. Romanians get nothing? A journalist from Harper's Magazine and another from Vanity Fair apologized this week after they were slammed for publicly mocking Blue Ivy Carter, the seven-year-old daughter of Beyonce and Jay-Z. Bay and G, Bay and Z. The rapper Megan the Stallion posted two black and white photos of herself with Blue Ivy and Beyonce on her Instagram and Twitter accounts. Vanity Fair film critic Kay Austin Collins responded, I have a feeling the Jay-Z face jeans are about to really hit Blue Ivy. I feel so sorry for her. Violet Luca, a web editor for Harper's, replied, They have it already? Luca added, or she'll just get plastic surgery at 16, a la Kylie Jenner, and we'll all have to pretend she always looked that way. There's nothing harmless about insulting a child's features, regardless of whether or not that child has famous parents or not, said a Twitter user. Luca and Collins issued apologies, and their tweets were deleted. I'm sorry about the Blue Ivy tweet. Bad joke, and black girls in particular deserve better, Collins tweeted. After a Twitter user told him some tweets should be left in drafts, Collins responded, You're right. Poor form on my end. Thanks for calling it out. Luca responded in a series of tweets Wednesday and Thursday, Quote, Sorry, I was cleaning my apartment while this blew up. Children of famous ought to be off limits, but time and again they haven't been. So I said something petty and have been called ugly, old, and a racist. That tweet drew claims of racism. <laughs> and she replied, I'm not playing the victim. Sorry that I insulted Beyonce's daughter by suggesting that she might get plastic surgery someday, like many children of famous people do, unquote. Who are you looking at? YG is bringing in the new year by apologizing to the LGBTQ community. The rapper took to Twitter to express his sincerest apologies for his ignorance. He tweeted, quote, It's been brought to my attention that my old views on life was ignorant. I apologize to the LGBTQ community for ever coming across like I was anything but respectful and accepting. Live, love, your life, gang. There's no word on what the rapper specifically said. This is according to Revolt TV. Uh, or did that cause this apology. Many fans replied to the tweet saying that he's only apologizing because he's dating Kehlani and she's openly bisexual. Kehlani recently tweeted that the pair had split more information available somewhere else. Pope Francis, Francis the talking Pope, apologized New Year's Day after losing his cool the night before and slapping the hand of a woman who grabbed his own hand and yanked him toward her while the pontiff was greeting pilgrims in St. Peter's Square. During the incident, which happened after the Pope's New Year's Eve Vespers liturgy, he'd been walking to visit the Vatican's nativity scene greeting pilgrims along the way. After reaching out to touch a child, he turned away from the crowd, but as he did so, a woman reached out and grasped his hand, yanking him back towards her. Francis, who stumbled, appeared to be in pain, visibly upset when the woman would not let go. He slapped her to free himself. Slapped her hand. It's unclear what the woman who had made the sign of the cross before grabbing his hand was trying to say as she tugged the Pope towards her. In his Angelus address, which coincides with the Catholic Church's celebration of the Solemnity of Mary... 
The Pope apologized for the incidents. The mention of patience during his address, Francis said, I apologize for the poor example yesterday. A likely reference to the incident. With the woman. During Monday's broadcast of CBS Evening News, the network misidentified Representative John Lewis. While reporting on his recent cancer diagnosis, CBS News showed a picture of deceased Congressman Elijah Cummings. Why, they're both African-American. It's not the first time news outlets have conflated the two congressmen. Past June, Fox News issued an on-air apology after showing a clip of Representative Lewis while doing a story on Representative Cummings, blaming it on a technical snafu. CBS producers issued a statement on Twitter expressing regret for the mistake. A tweet from (laughs) President Donald Trump that identified an intelligence analyst as the alleged whistleblower who helped spark his impeachment, that tweet was temporarily blocked last weekend. Twitter blamed an outage that affected a number of user accounts. Due to an outage with one of our systems, tweets on account profiles were visible to some but not others, Twitter support said. It's not a person. We're still working on fixing this and apologize for any confusion. Period. Any confusion. Wow. That's a blanket apology if I've ever heard one. Irish Rail, it's the railway in Ireland, hence the name, has apologized to a married lesbian couple after they were asked for proof of their marriage or civil partnership to buy tickets. Mary McNally, who qualifies for free travel as a pensioner, and her wife, Karen Underwood, were looking to get a train in Dublin to Cork. While they were at the ticket booth, Ms. McNally was asked to prove that they were recognized by the state as a couple. Underwood, who was originally American and a soul singer, said she was angry about the request and it would not have been asked of a heterosexual married couple. Coming from Chicago, she says, I refuse to live a life of oppression for anybody. The couple have been together for more than two decades. Irish Rail has issued an apology after the issue was aired on a Cork radio station, or a radio station Cork. It said the incident was an isolated one and should not have happened. No, it is not standard practice. We apologize that the customer was asked this. Our booking office staff are required to issue tickets according to the free travel pass validity, which in this instance was two tickets. In no circumstances should a customer be asked for proof of marriage or civil partnership. All right, glad that's settled. Sir Rod Stewart has been charged by police after allegedly punching a security guard at a hotel in Florida. Police report said that uh, Sir Rod and his family approached the check-in table to try to gain access to an event, like a VIP kind of New Year's Eve thing, for their children. It's for the children. According to the affidavit, Sir Rod told police after the family were denied access, the security guard Mr. Dixon became argumentative with them, causing his family to become agitated. Sir Rod, 74, apologized for his role in the incident, according to the officer's report, but he has been charged by the police. Jesse Dixon is the security guard in question. The operator of a Commerce City, Colorado oil refinery says it's not yet ready to reopen one of the facility's refining units following a malfunction that spewed yellow ash over the surrounding area earlier this month. It's assuring the community that when it does reopen the facility, that thing won't happen again. Canadian oil giant Suncor Energy once again apologized for the refinery's operational upset. In a statement, 
said it won't restart before it conducts additional safety tests. The uh, yellowish material was identified by Suncor as a clay-like substance known as catalyst. It drifted into the air above the refinery and fell on parts of Commerce City. Two nearby schools were placed on lockdown when staff noticed unusually poor air quality and a layer of dust coating cars and other outdoor surfaces. In its initial statement on the incident, Suncor said the emitted catalyst was classified as non-hazardous, but additional documentation released by the company indicated the material is rated as a slight health hazard under the National Fire Protection Association Hazard Identification System. Suncor later acknowledged the airborne catalyst may have caused short-term discomfort to eyes and coughing and wheezing. They offered free car washes. We sincerely apologize for the release of catalyst from our fluidized catalytic, catalytic cracker on December 11th, they said. We know this incident created significant concern among our neighbors and the broader community. This incident does not reflect the level of care and concern that we have for the community around us. We know that you expect more from us. We want you to know that we expect more from ourselves. So we're giving ourselves a free car wash, too. The Suncor facility is Colorado's only oil refinery, one of the state's largest stationary sources of air pollution. I think they got an award for that. After the recent death of 21-year-old rapper Juice, W-R-L-D, Juicy J has joined the many fans and artists that are confronting themselves for the role they play in the glorification of drug use. Juicy J took to Twitter. You know who he is. Juicy J took to Twitter to express his regret for promoting drug use throughout his, according to HipHopWire.com, illustrious career. He apologized for his role in the promotion of the lifestyle. If I inspired anybody to do, do drugs, he said, I apologize. The wave of anti-drug posts has been sparked by the number of high-profile rappers that have lost their lives due to suspected or confirmed drug overdoses. Although Juicy J has a few songs promoting the use of drugs, his fans noticed a slight change in 2017 after the death of Lil Peep. On his appearance on a track, Power Glide, Juicy J speaks about the death before admitting he needed to cut back on the prescription Xanax. As he said, R.I.P. Lil Peep, I gotta slow down on them Zans. Unquote. A social media post by Mobile, Alabama police officers featuring a photo and text that some say mock homeless people. No, I'm saying there aren't mock homeless people. Some say the post mocks homeless people has resulted in an apology by Mobile Police Chief Lawrence Batiste. The photo, which is posted on private Facebook page, shows two Mobile police officers in uniform holding up a cardboard quilt of taped-together signs, apparently confiscated from panhandlers. The text reads, Want to wish everybody in 4th Precinct a ha Merry Christmas, especially our captain. Hope you'll enjoy our homeless quilt. Sincerely, Panhandler Patrol. Batiste made the following statement after the post drew wide criticism. As a police department entrusted with serving and, protecting, serving and protecting our community, we offer our sincerest apology for the insensitive gesture of a Facebook post by two of our officers where they're holding up a homeless quilt made of panhandling signs. Although we do not condone panhandling, it is never our intent or desire as a police department to make light of those who find themselves in a homeless state. I think California would be a homeless not pretty soon. No, they didn't mean that. The United Kingdom government apologized last week after it published a list of 1,000 celebrities and notables 
that included some personal information, such as addresses. The New Year Honors List recognizes achievements and contributions of more than a 1,000 honorees, with terms including knighthood for some, and no dayhood. There is no dayhood. The 2020 list of recipients included Olivia Newton-John. She got a damehood, director Sam Mendes, a knighthood, and Sir Elton John, companion of honor. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast.
This is the show, ladies and gentlemen, this week in the uh, the affairs <laughs> of President Trump. Sorry. Um, well, the aforementioned news story I mentioned at the top of the show, the emails, the unredacted versions of which showed he went much farther than previous evidence in public to show that the uh, withholding of aid, military aid from the Ukrainians, was uh, directly an order from the White House, from the Oval Office, as a matter of fact. Um, That hit the Senate just as it was coming back into session. Um, Senator Mitch McConnell, Republican head of the Senate, uh, noted that the the stalemate between him and uh, Democratic minority leader in the Senate, Chuck Schumer, had continued through the uh, holiday period. They never actually uh, talked to each other during the holiday period. I guess they didn't exchange gifts either. Maybe they were embarrassed they hadn't bought gifts. You know, you don't know what to get for the leader of the other party. You really don't. Anyway, the discussion of what's going to happen, how are the rules of the supposedly pending Senate trial to be set by the Senate, will the articles of impeachment ever be sent over by the House to the Senate? Who has the leverage? Who's losing by the delays? Who's winning? All this, the talk of Washington right up to the time when the announcement filtered out that the United States had drone killed the head of the Iranian Quds Force. It's a force for Quds. Um, And much discussion in the ensuing hours and days has centered on well, he's a bad guy, okay, from, especially from the United States' point of view. I think the uh, folks in Iran, who knows what they think? A lot of, lot of mourning in uh, Baghdad, where Iran has had major influence ever since the United States overthrew Saddam Hussein. But a lot of the discussion has been about whether this was legal. Legal schmeagle. It was a thing. And um, what the administration's process was like in arriving at this decision. 
but we're looking forward. This week, for the first time, the dogs of war are chasing the cats of peace. And for the businessman turned chief executive, it's never too late to start wondering which of his teams is up to the job. And what is the job anyway? Mitch. Hope you got some uh, relaxing time in over the holidays, sir. Are you kidding? I had relaxing time coming out of my ears. In case you haven't noticed, Mitch, I'm not that much into relaxing. Even on a golf course, I'm always thinking about the next deal. That's why I'm so hard to beat. Also, I bring the pencils. Yes, sir. Well, we're we're pretty much where we were at before the holidays. I managed to hang Chuck Schumer out to dry like uh, Grandma Bessie's quilts. Wait a minute. Did you really have a Grandma Bessie? (laughs) No. Figure of speech, sir. Wow, thank goodness. For a minute, it sounded like you were born on the Grand Ole Opry or something. <laughs> anyway, like you said in your statement, mm-hmm. let's work hand in the glove on this hoax of an impeachment hoax. All right, sir. I've got my caucus pretty much freeze-dried into a trial with no witnesses, no nothing. Mitch, is it asking too much of my Senate team leader that you spend like a whole half second actually thinking about this? <laughs> No, sir. When am I ever going to get another chance to get Joe Biden and that no-good son of his under oath, if not in my Senate trial? That kid of his just wishes he could be Don Jr. He's so pathetic he even wishes he could be Eric. Sir, you get Joe Biden on the witness stand in the Senate, and he's looking at a jury pool of a hundred of his buddies. Nobody in my lifetime has worked harder at the subtle lubrication of senatorial orifices than... Mitch! We'll have half a dozen presidential candidates stuck in their Senate seats. We'll have Sleepy Joe stuck in the witness chair. It's like we put their whole primary thing on pause. Who cares what he says? It'll be a tune-out the likes of which even NBC has never seen. And they've had some doozies. Remember Super Train? I can tell you this, sir. Once we open the door to witnesses, the Democrats will want to trade one of ours for one of theirs. Great. Even more boring. If we wait another month, spring training starts and the big award shows come on. Mitch, Mm -hmm. this stuff I know, believe me. And as far as witness lists, Rudy's got one that would make your friggin' eyes fall out. A CPA from Burisma, right? An Estonian hooker, okay? (laughs) Hooters from here to next week. Sir, as I've said, I'll do whatever you want. I'll give you my best advice. But in the end... Okay, here's in the end. Hmm. Here's your task for this week. Meet with crooked Chuck Schumer. Start stringing him along. This is what I used to do with the bankruptcy lawyers, by the way. Worked every time. And, and, and just for my own personal sense of what the heck I'm doing, what's our end game here? Acquittal? Mistrial? What? Mitch, did you get the license number of the turnip truck you fell off of? The end game here is like it always is. More of this, right? You bet. General Milley. Yes, sir. When you said a meeting in the boardroom, I guess I... You didn't realize it was the 18-hole boardroom, right? (laughs) No problem, General. I do my best thinking in two places, and I wasn't going to invite you to the other one. Believe me. I... (laughs) Well, I'm very appreciative, sir. I'm told that uh, President Johnson wasn't quite so solicitous of the feelings of his staff. Hey, I'm maybe the most solicitous person you ever met, especially with women. Anyway, so... How does Mr. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff feel about Iran now? Sir, without... 
<laughs> without a lot of prep time. I think we carried out the mission of Operation Get the Bad Guy without a hitch. At the same time... At the same time, I got a bunker deal here. Gonna take a mulligan on that. I think all of us in the building are concerned with decision trees for all the possible responses by the Iranian regime, except for the ones that are out of our bailiwick, like cyber attack and uh, Twitter insults. Hey, listen, General. There are no two battlefields I'd rather be on with Iran more than A, nuclear, and two, Twitter. But I seem to recall you saying something about follow-up plans after the killing. Yes, sir, and I uh, believe the notes will reflect it. You said uh, we'll deal with that if and when. Who the friggin' frack is still taking notes around here? <laughs> well, you are, sir, on, on that little pad. That's the score. You never play golf? <laughs> reading is my hobby, sir. Good. Good to know somebody around here is reading. So look, General... New task this week. Uh, not really in a, a readiness posture for another killing. Not this... a killing. I mean, we're not trying to start a war. Even I said that. I heard in one of my briefings that my friend Vladimir says his country's got a hypersonic missile. Uh, yes, sir. That's been reported openly. So, so that's faster than supersonic, right? Four or five times faster. So what's faster than that? Hydrosonic? Megasonic? Humongousonic? Well, I'm not personally familiar with... Well, whatever it's called, let's start a research thing on it. Or at least leak that we're doing it. It'll be a message to the Iranians. And the Russians? They'll get a kick out of it. New team. New tasks. Same mission. We're going to make witnesses great again. Now, the world is his boardroom. The president is this week. Watch from a safe distance.
Dunkin' Bagel. Dunkin' Bagel. Dunkin' Bagel. Splash! In a coffee. A lot of balsamini. A filter fee. A ah, filter fish of booty. Pickle herring. A ah, pickle harrowini. A lox of booty. A lox of booty. Duncan Berry. Duncan Bagel. Duncan Bagel. Splash in the coffee. Duncan Bagel. Duncan Bagel. Duncan Bagel. Splash in the coffee. How about a bowl of filter fish? Cold? Hot? I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Microplastics. Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. Enough said. Well, maybe not. Nothing seems safe from plastic contamination. It is pulled from the nostrils of sea turtles, found in Antarctic waters and buried in the fossil records as well. Not the nostrils. The, the plastics. But a new study by researchers from Scripps Institution of Oceanography at the University of California, San Diego suggests there could be a million times more pieces of plastic in the ocean than previously estimated. We're better than we thought. Biological oceanographer Jennifer Brandon found some of the tiniest countable microplastics in surface seawater at much higher concentrations than previously measured. Her method unveiled that the traditional way of counting marine microplastics is likely missing the smallest particles, suggesting the number of measured microplastics in the ocean is off by five to seven orders of magnitude. I'm ordering some magnitude right now. I'll share some with you if you'd like. On average, Brandon estimates the ocean is contaminated by 8.3 million pieces of so-called mini microplastics per cubic meter of water. Previous studies... Measuring larger pieces found only 10 pieces per cubic meter. Her discoveries, completed while a grad student at Scripps, was published in November in a special issue of Limnology and Oceanography, Letters, devoted to research on microplastics and microfibers. Quote, for years we've been doing microplastic studies the same way by using a net to collect samples, she says. But anything smaller than that net mesh has been escaping, Brandon said. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's, it's the duh department. And now, news of our friend the atom. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Japan has just revised the roadmap for decommissioning the crippled Fuk nuclear plant, further delaying removal of thousands of used fuel assemblies. They've been held in cooling pools or pooling cools since the 2011 thing. This is the fifth revision of the roadmap by the Ministry of Economy, Trade and Industry. While it's complicated by high radiation and other risks, the government and TEPCO are still aiming for completion within 30 to 40 years. It's a very difficult process, and it's hard to know what to expect. The most important thing is the safety of the workers and the surrounding area, according to Industry Minister Hiroshi Kajiyama. The Japanese government decided to delay the removal of used fuel from Units 1 and 2 by up to five years. The process had previously been slated to begin fiscal 2023. More than 4,700 used fuel rods remain at the three reactors. They pose a high risk 
as their storage pools are uncovered and a loss of water in the event of another major thing could cause the fuel rods to release massive radiation. Fuel removal is now postponed by up to 10 years from the initial target of 2018. Fuel rod removal will begin sometime after debris is cleared away and a rooftop cover is installed to contain radioactive dust. TEPCO has already emptied the pool at Fook Unit Number 4, which was offline at the time of the accident, only suffered building damage. The uh, all-remaining rods are expected to be removed by 2031 for safer storage in dry casks. TEPCO also faces problems in dealing with that 1.2 million tons of treated water, which still contains radioactive tritium, kept in almost 1,000 tanks at the plant. Plans to release the water into the sea have not been implemented, implemented because of possible public repercussions and the impact on fishing and agriculture. The amount of water that's used to cool the melted fuel inside the reactors is increasing by 170 cubic meters daily. The removal of melted fuel will begin with just a spoonful, which will be carefully measured and analyzed under International Atomic Energy Agency instructions. The government hopes to gradually expand the scale of removal because they're going to run out of spoons. No, this depends on better expertise and further robotic development. Fuel removal from Units 1 and 3 present a more complex problem because of high radiation and water levels, respectively, and require more investigation. But... Good news, Japan has no plans as yet for the disposal of the melted fuel and other debris that come out of the reactors. Managing the waste will require new technologies to reduce its volume and toxicity. All right, we'll be standing by for that. And the U.S. Congress has demanded an investigation to a concrete dome full of nuclear waste threatened by rising sea levels in the Martian Islands, Marshall Islands. Dubbed the tomb, it holds tons of radioactive debris from dozens of U.S. A-bomb tests during the Cold War. Congress wants the Department of Energy to report back on the state of the aging dune within six months. More, more than 40 nuclear weapons tests took place on or near the Anahuac, took a toll in the Pacific. In the late 40s and early 50s, the crater from one blast was used from the 1970s to store nuclear waste. It was later covered in thick concrete slabs to form the dome. There are concerns that the structure is deteriorating and could be vulnerable to sea level rise caused by climate change. The condition of the dome was highlighted in a recent Los Angeles what? Los Angeles what? Times investigation, which also unearthed evidence of biological weapons tests, really, and the shipping of 130 tons of soil from nuclear testing grounds in Nevada to the Marshall Islands. The, uh, this was all called for, the investigation, by an amendment to the big defense appropriation bill. That amendment was introduced by Democratic Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard. Clean cheap, too safe to clean up, our friend the Adam.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude. This very edition of the show, the program, returns next week on the radio at the same time. Same station. If all, uh, if all goes well, and uh, on your audio device of choice, whenever, whenever you want it. You don't have to ask anybody or check with anybody or look up anything. You're the boss. And it would be just like you've been the boss if you'd agree to join with me then. Will you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk for its contributions to the broadcast. And to uh, Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for help with this broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts in time for um, Valentine's Day and a playlist of music heard here, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.